My name is Sadia. I'm Brent. I'm Claire. And I'm Michael. You're tuning in to Oats for Breakfast, which is an eco-socialist podcast based in Toronto. Remember to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or whichever podcast app you like to use. Also remember that you can become a monthly supporter of the podcast by going to patreon.com slash oats for breakfast. It helps us a lot if you share our content, whether that's through word of mouth or online. So if you like oats for breakfast, please tell others to check us out. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can write to contact at oatspodcast.com. In this episode, we're going to be chatting about HBO's Watchmen, a superhero drama series. The first season of the series aired from October to December 2019. A fair bit of our discussion will be about how Watchmen deals with issues of race and racism. Our discussion will, of course, end up having spoilers in it. Since Michael and I are South Africans, we'll also compare how race and racism are thought about in North America with how they're thought about in South Africa. So let's start with an overview of the plot. I've watched this show uh, like a month ago, so I can. I'd like to say, first of all, that we're also, I'm, we're going to sound pretty critical of this show, I think, at parts, but I did really like this show. I just want, so I don't want the listeners to get the wrong impression. It's a, it's a f- fun show, and I enjoyed it. So we'll turn to Brent to defend the show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, from what I understand about it, it's a continuation of the graphic novel book, The Watchmen. So it has some relation to it in terms of the characters, and it's carrying on from where the graphic novel ends off. So from what I understand, in a nutshell, what happened in that context was that Dr. Manhattan, a superhuman being or a godlike character who is also features in the series helps intervene into the vietnam war so does that happen in the original yeah the original the whole idea i think behind the original comic is to like what would the world be like if you had basically these diy heroes Mm -hmm. that were then kind of taken seriously so they become you know, sort of these cult-like figures with the first one being uh, Hooded Justice, who features in this series as well. And then they sort of, they have a certain amount of fame in the first, and then the only one that's an actual superhero is Dr. Manhattan, who his origin story is like he walks into some super radioactive lab and then becomes this superhuman. And he is used by the U.S. state uh, for like in, inter, he intervenes in the Vietnam War to stop the Vietnam War. So it's a sort of alternative history where it draws some elements from actual U.S. history, but then is sort of like brings in these there's a sole superhero characters. And um, so in the original movie, Oz and story Osmendes and Doctor Manhattan. See, this is where it's confusing because the movie and the comic are different, but they essentially get together to sort of stave off the Cold War. And how they do it in the movie and in the comic is different. I think what they keep referring to in this show, right, is that they release a huge octopus onto Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And that basically rallies the country against uh, the Cold War, I think. Yeah. By well, fear, against an right? extraterrestrial threat. Yeah. So they stop. 
yeah, unites the world against this extraterrestrial threat as opposed to fighting each other. So that's right. the idea. And then, mm-hmm. yeah, the whole thing, okay, now it's coming back. And the movie is justifying this sort of utilitarian calculation of whether or not killing all these people is justified in the name of the greater good to prevent mm-hmm. nuclear war. Mm-hmm. Right. The title, though, of the series, The Watchmen, I was thinking about like what the significance of that was. Well, there's in in this in the series there's a scene where the white supremacists or is it the is it the cops but they're saying this sort of mantra which is who will watch the watchmen. Mm-hmm. So, I mean in history I think there've been there've been so many examples not only in the US but all over the world where you have those who are meant to be in positions of authority whether that's police or the state abusing their powers. Uh, so that that theme is something that runs throughout the th- series. What I've noticed in the series is this idea of who are the ones in charge, who has legitimate authority, because the whole idea behind a superhero or a vigilante is that their authority is not actually legitimate in the sense of that it's legal, rational, that it's charismatic, maybe, <laughs> um, that you know, or popular. But, but the fact is they're essentially breaking the law. And Laurie, the CIA character in the series who comes and she's like, I'm in, I'm in charge of vigilante uh, services because she actually wants to, her job is actually imprisoning the, the, the watchman in inverted commas. But she was a watchman. She was, right. She and was the original. She dated Dr. Manhattan. Right, so you're never quite sure if she's doing it out of principle yeah. or if she's doing it out of some personal... I think the show hinted at the fact that it was a personal thing for her, especially the episode where it was focused on her backstory and her relationship with Dr. Manhattan. And also the sort of the over, I think that there is, if you believe in a principle like that, that you know authority should be exercised in the open, you do it in a sort of calm, clinical way. Mm-hmm. And her character was not calm. Mm-hmm. She was cynical. Mm-hmm almost nihilistic. So I guess that's the other thing that there are characters from the original Watchmen series who are both in the background and the foreground in this series, but often it's that they are the previous generation. So here, this is the second generation. Well, actually they, in the, like she herself was the second generation. Agent Blake. Agent Blake. And I forget what happened there. The whole thing is like taking a kind of dark look on superheroes as well. Like I think in the original story, like her father, who was a superhero, and her mother, who was also a superhero, like her father raped her mother or something mm-hmm. like that. So she's got this beef. I, I can't remember, but yeah. But she so this is like kind of like the third generation. I forget her name though. Is it like Night Owl or But I guess this question of the vigilantes and uh Especially in you know in the context of Watchmen, they're the Watchers or the Vigilantes, but they're supposed to replace the cops, like the the actual sort of state apparatus. But here, Agent Blake is the FBI agent, and then Sister Knight, Angela Abar, she's she's one of the cops, and so then there is a sort of blurring of like vigilantes and actual cops, and as and so how do we understand like the role of cops in this? I mean, my, my, I think that the context in which the context that the series addresses is, is really creative. The fact that it starts with this moment in history, which is something which did happen, the Tulsa race riots, Tulsa massacre. And in fact, although now, 
having done some reading about it, it said that this was the worst one. It, it, there were others. There was one, the Wilmington Massacre in 1898, uh, which also saw a couple of hundred black people killed, murdered, and driven out of town, basically. There was another one, Rosewood Massacre in 1923, and then, of course, the Tulsa race riots. And in recent years, the issue of reparations has been has been raised in relation to all of those. But in all of those instances, it's also been this sort of inversion of who the authority is. There's been these, not vigilantes, but white supremacist militia groups arming themselves in place of in place of a legitimate authority. In the Wilmington massacre, it was actually a coup d'etat, which dislodged, displaced the, the actual authority. So, yeah, I think it, it speaks about violence and authority and, of course, the ideologies that sustain sustain these violent like events. Like who, who are the cops working for and what is their agenda? Mm-hmm. And is that agenda accepted by those who they are purportedly have authority to rule? And then the cops themselves become anxious and yeah. fearful about their role in the in society. I think that the show, I mean, the show is also about the political authority. Political authority is actually being ruled by conspiracy. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe it would help if we start from the first episode of just like the Tulsa massacre and like how that's portrayed and what do we make of the portrayal and, and why, as Chloe was saying, there's so many other similar massacres. Why, what's significant that this was the one that was picked? Maybe one element is the, the idea that this was the Black Wall Street, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What I guess I saw in the show in terms from a left perspective was a kind of conscious attempt to create a world basically without class politics, in a sense, when the only sense of, or I don't know, I was thinking about that earlier, maybe that's not the case, but at least not a sympathetic class politics. So it's really trying to, the the, the dominant issue of concern that's in the background of the show, the show itself is not necessarily like about these issues. It's just sort of how it paints the ideological landscape of the show is uh, is race and racism. And that's the big um, issue, the social justice issue that animates a lot of these characters and the show. And it sort of reflects, I think, a kind of politics that are currently, that the liberal mainstream is sort of prepared to co-opt, right? And at least to appear progressive anyway, to sort of adopt this racial and and, and generally identity politics uh, shorn of any sort of political, economic, or socially tra- really socially transformative agenda. Mm-hmm. So in the show, you have this rich black community, which is historically, you know, I was reading a bit about it. It was, I don't know to what extent this has a sort of like Wakanda type vibe, you know what I mean, from mm-hmm. Black Panther. But historically, it was uh, just basically a successful black neighborhood that was like doing well on its own was created not because this is what they voluntarily wanted, right? But because of Oklahoma segregation laws that the federal government tried to prevent, but that Oklahoma, because it's just fuck, it's racist, um, wanted to, so that it was the white governors and state legislatures who instituted segregation that said, 
if a neighborhood is populated by three-fourths of either white or black, then the other race can't live in there. So they literally made mm -hmm. segregated neighborhoods. And this neighborhood, thus being segregated, did quite well. Developed a couple stores, had um, a movie theater. That's that's true in the show. So yeah, they wanted to pick this successful black neighborhood. But it, it's striking how they then depict the sort of ghettoized white population of yeah. the show. It's sort of like, it just brings to mind the Trump voter, right? And they're very much demonized. And there's no understanding of the socioeconomic position. It's just like these people are poor and disgusting, yeah. right? You know what I mean? And they're just white trash. And it's quite shocking that this is kind of held up in this sort of... Like, it's not problematized at all? Yeah. A part of me couldn't help but think that this framing of the race and class issue couldn't be so crude. Like, it really, I mean, I, I understand that possibly this is just an expression of liberal mainstream racial interpretation of American life at the moment, right? Where it is very easy to gloss over the socioeconomic class basis or class elements of these things. And I felt in those scenes where the cop, Angela, was beating the uh, white trash person in a trailer park, I felt that there could have, when I watched it for the first time, I felt this could be a very nice segue into a really mm -hmm. sophisticated, a possibly a sophisticated portrayal or expression of these dilemmas and, and tensions in political conversation. But then I think that I was disappointed in the end because the rest of the episodes didn't go where I think they could have gone. And that might testify to the lack of imagination in the liberal, in the liberal mainstream on these issues. And in fact, we don't see any poor, poor black people, as far as I remember. And we only see poor white people and rich white people, both of whom either from the beginning or ultimately end up being against the rich black people. And also it shows that Angela as a child, her parents are are killed in an act of what one might you know, see as, as a terrorism, terrorist attack in response to the American occupation and colonialism, I guess, of, of Vietnam. So she's an orphan, so she obviously has nothing but then again the story doesn't really touch on that i mean she's living in an orphanage um, obviously with nothing and then the next thing you see she's a cop and living well and then moving back to the u.s mm -hmm. but there's no point in her like character development which which reflects on that which reflects on the fact that they are these poor people um and also just to pick up on the idea of viewing viewing something and you know, what is truth and what is fiction of course the story itself comes from a work of fiction it is it is obviously a work of fiction and blends this supernatural with with history and what's real and in fact in terms of i looked up the reparations of the tulsa race rights and there was a there was a commission there was a truth commission into it in 1996 funny enough around the same time as the south african TRC. And it came up with a host of uh, recommendations for reparations, one of which was providing material monetary reparations for the families or descendants of victims of this massacre. But it wasn't, that wasn't taken up. 
by the state. And there was uh, one which was, which was actually the Oklahoma legislature passed the 1921 Tulsa Race Riots Reconciliation Act in 2001. And what it did do, so it didn't take up all the recommendations of the commission, but it did make provision for you know, 300 college scholarships, mm-hmm. right? And that in itself is something which is quite a, it's it's an elite thing. Yeah. Like going to college is already something that is quite targeted. It's an elite project. Mm-hmm. Um, majority of people won't even think about going to college. Yeah, but on this question of reparations, I guess the series shows a sort of counterfactual scenario where there were reparations called Redfordations after President Robert Redford. <laughs> and Was that a reference to the act? Is that in the yeah, act? it is. It is. Yeah. Right. Okay. I didn't, uh, I didn't catch that. Yeah. Um, but we also see the reaction from different white people yeah. to these Redfordations in the series. Uh, and so what do you guys make of that? Well, they're disparaging about it, right? Yeah. Which is, and and that picks up on on a discourse that's prolific, that's very, we hear it now with regards to things like affirmative action. I mean, in South Africa, it's, it's, uh, we have policies of, yeah, black economic empowerment, or now it's called broad-based black economic empowerment, which is an official, it's a policy. And of course, you have people um, previously part of the advantaged, uh, say the white people, basically, saying, oh, this is reverse racism and it's reverse discrimination and so forth. But in the show, when we hear people saying to Angela Abar, oh, did you get that from your Red Foundations? The people often saying that are the poor white people, right? Or like we, we, It's we the are. young kid, the, yeah, the son of... The son of the guy I think she goes and gets originally to get to speak because oh. she's just like... Her basic calcula- her calculation is whoever whosoever's parent that is is probably mm. racist yeah so she goes and just grabs him and she's like i can smell white supremacy and, yeah and he and smells, smells like, like bleach, bleach. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then another the other person is someone some like trailer park looking older white man who shows up at her porch who seem who we assume is some relative of her adoptive kids who are her adoptive kids are all white um mm-hmm. and so there too she's she buys him off right and so to show that, okay, really, he doesn't care about these relatives of his. He's just like a miserable, poor white person. And so she can keep him away from yeah. his relatives. It's very bizarre. So you see, that that's what I mean when, when I said that that is a hook, which could really start a very interesting conversation that the show just dropped, I found. Yeah, all of these, all of these politics kind of gets dropped. Mm as you go along in the show and kind of just fades from view. Mm-hmm. Although the cynical, I mean, you can read it very cynically and say that that is just the expression of a, of the honest politics of the show. Mm. That ultimately they want you to, when she beats the poor white, they want you to feel as if it was an expression of maybe over the top, but a necessary exhaling of justice, right? Mm. You know I who's mean, probably exhaling just as much so? It's not so much uh, black folks, which, who might be, and are, are rightly to, but it's also probably liberal, white liberal middle yeah. class people mm. who yeah. hate poor white people mm. more yeah. than anything. Mm. So, but who would celebrate this kind of brutality, police brutality against poor white people? Yeah, they, they hate, yeah. They more than anyone propagate uh, this sort of discourse around white trash and things like that, mm. but and, they were and despise poor white working people. 
But there were then, or would we say then that the looking glass character would be a sort of a representation of an ally, a white ally type figure in the discourse? Or is, are there any? But he comes across as this, he comes from this white trash, I mean, I don't like in the term, but this white trash background because mm-hmm. when it starts mm-hmm. like he's you know on a, a christian proselytizing mission at this carnival trying to like hand out flyers to c- recruit people to christianity and of course he's got this thick southern accent mm-hmm. which is which people would associate with this kind of poor white class um overly superstitious overly religious conspiratorial conspiracy mm. theory yeah. um so yeah, he's an interesting character too because he's sort of straddling the fence of both worlds. And he does betray Angela, right? He knows that Agent Blake has uh, put a microphone on his desk and she wants him to tell her about Angela. And knowing that, he invites Angela to reveal herself. But so- that was to to save her because Blake said... If you don't do this, she's going to be in danger or her children are going to be in danger and things. So I think when he did that, he was thinking, okay, well, I'm doing this for now, but I'm going to redeem myself later on. Right. I I wasn't sure about that because I thought maybe he started questioning her when he realized that she was complicit in the chief's killing. Or she knew something about it, but then she hid it. Mm. So then his loyalties were sort of under question a bit, but ultimately he redeems himself and is on her side. And if he did betray her, it was because of his own personal fears, right? So he he accepts the deal because he can't live with his anxiety. And so he sees it wasn't out of a sort of a racialized solidarity with the uh, white supremacist people. And on the white supremacist people, I mean, did what did you think of them? I, th- I thought that they were sort of like stick figure characters, right? Like there was no, there was no, it was like this concept, you know, the very first, the scene where she goes to the, where she goes to the, um, the funeral, I think, or the wake mm-hmm. of the uh, chief. And it's around, you go into this, into this room and they're all white people in suits. And immediately I thought, you know what's going to happen? These people are going to be, because that's part, that's again, part of like the mainstream idea that, Mm -hmm. you know, you can't ultimately, no one, no one, no white person is, everyone's got a Ku Klux Klan thing in the, in their closet, in their closet, right? And this is something about the writing that some of it was a bit like, he said he's got skeletons in the closet to to explain why he he hung this person um, when Hooded Justice it turns out did hang the chief, and he said he's got skeletons in the closet, and then the chief literally has a KKK thing in his closet. I was like, mm, could have been a bit more subtle. Yeah, <laughs> um, audiences, yeah, felt a bit disrespected. But the white <laughs> the white supremacist weren't. Ultimately, then, I mean, they were they were incompetent. They were being manipulated by Lady True. By Lady True, right? And Who's she's the, Tr- she's that trillionaire who like is the head of the pharmaceutical company, and mm-hmm. like she's oh, she was being manipulated her. too. No, she manipulated everyone else to get Doctor Manhattan, okay, so that she could take okay. his powers. And that's also like, you know, the, the thing that, you know, don't trust a white person because there's a Ku Klux Klan thing. Don't trust someone who wants to change the world because they're actually egomaniacs. Yeah. Another. Yeah. Yeah, another not so subtle liberal message. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And I mean, actually on that, you know, in both in the cases of um, Adrian Veidt, who in order to save the world, he had to kill three million New Yorkers mm. and then traumatize countless others afterwards. Um, but I guess it was okay, ultimately, like as you were saying, Brent, that, that because that prevented nuclear war or nuclear holocaust from happening. And then... This lady, Lady True, is supposed to also have these like world-changing utopian plans. So this also seems to be a sort of repeated message in in a lot of Hollywood stuff that anyone who gives you, anyone who promises utopia mm-hmm. is like actually, as you're saying, Mike, an egomaniac and ultimately just wants power for themselves. Mm. So you can't trust anyone mm. with like big plans of ending world hunger. Mm. or you know uh, ending poverty and that sort of stuff yeah that was really apparent in game of thrones Mm -hmm. with um what was her name daenerys targaryen i don't know if you guys watch game of thrones no no they basically made her whole message was like yeah we got to um revolutionize the world for the people and it was like very sort of like populous and you know and yeah she turned out they just made her very quickly in a not well planned out fashion, a very evil, tyrannical megalomaniac. Yeah. Even in Hunger Games, ultimately, it was like, oh, yeah, the people in whatever district who are supposed to be planning the rebellion, they're actually evil and unaccountable and like, tyrannical. So it's mm-hmm. like, okay, well, all struggle is for nothing then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, this, so this, I mean, the whole show, it, it's surrounded it's surrounded around this conspiracy theory. I mean, like there's literally a giant squid (laughs) dropped onto New York City and kills 3 million people and everyone's led to believe that it was some alien force. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we must, you know, stop fighting. America America and Russia, Cold War must end because we need to unite against against this common enemy. And it's like this is, conspiracy theories have been present throughout history right and the main tenets of these conspiracy theories is that history is the product not of social forces not of like the movement of contradiction but of willful action of particular individuals it's a struggle of good and evil and that's that's all it is and no one is benign Mm. um and you can see that now i mean even with the um in South Africa, there's this conspiracy theory that Nelson Mandela actually died in the 80s and that whoever came and was posing as Nelson Mandela, he was, you know, the, why they sold out and why South Africa didn't achieve the economic um, revolution that was promised. So I think it's something which we need to actually address as as societies because what these conspiracy theories actually cover up are these real crises of mm-hmm. capital and of inequality that lead to extremist groups like the white right. Yeah, mm. and actually what's funny is that, you know, the the show ends up revealing that the squid stuff was a conspiracy, was they allowed the conspiracy to be there, but it was actually completely extra explainable. But then there's several conspiracies that turn out to be true, right? Like there, there is a white conspiracy that all the senators, all the poli- white policemen, everyone who's white is actually on the same page mm-hmm. across class, across like, you know, different boundaries. And they're all working to harness this extraterrestrial power for themselves to have actual white supremacy, I guess, in a literal sense of the word. Yeah. Um, and I guess, you know, this notion of conspiracy and truth is interesting because the conspiracies assume that, you know, there is a certain thing that's being presented, but in the background, there is all this other shit. And although like white supremacist conspiracy seems like perfectly okay, but like when there is 
belief in like the Jewish conspiracy, for example, that's a, that's like we understand that to be racist. Mm. We understand that to be like covering up the realities of the contradictions of capitalism and and inequalities in society. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I think like the idea that there's like latent racism in society. It's probably trying to like, I don't know the right word, but sort of like brings that to life in this conspiracy theory, right? I don't don't find that that problematic per se, though maybe it's kind of, um, yeah, if you know, some people probably, yeah, it's problematic when people start sort of believing how this is things work, that rich white people control poor white people. Uh, in this battle for white supremacy. Mm-hmm. That's sort of a very one-dimensional view of reality. But the show makes me kind of struggle with a bunch of these issues, which is like, how far do we do we celebrate these types of shows that, you know, are progressive in, in one sense in terms of the, the racial politics, but then at the same time, we know strategically at an ideological level are working to sort of undermine any real social change. So like, like for instance, like is crazy rich Asians a progressive movie? You know what I mean? Like it, it, it gives Asians representation, which is good in one sense, but then at the same time, it also celebrates unbridled capitalism and sort of works to sort of co-ops progressive energy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And eight, and and the Watchmen kind of does the same thing, so I was just wondering what you guys and as you like, said earlier, Black Panther as well. No, Black Panther was the most overly crude with that form of politics. And so I don't think any of these films are progressive. actually progressive because some people on the left would say, "Well, you know, it's not perfect, but at least it does this. It covers this." Right. And, or and same thing with issues of gender or disability. At least it covers this. Right. You know. And I don't know. I, I, I don't, but I think it's actually in the undermine. When you view politics as just sort of like, if you're viewing it things as sort of like, here's one for gender, here's one for race. And, and maybe if you're just viewing it as a cultural war, then maybe. But like, when you really view politics now as like different, the coalesce, like the coal coalescing of social forces and sort of like an ongoing strategic battle to rework cultural not only cultural but state institutions Mm -hmm. and how these cultural forms are going to impact that sort of political struggle then maybe it's not so so once you add the politics to that sort of culture war which i feel like a lot on the left they're so cynical right like anarchists for instance were just are just like oh i'm not interested in electoral politics at all because it doesn't work well you know let me know how that commune's going right like they just focus maybe on these like sort of like cultural issues, but that's, it's not enough. Do you know what I mean? Definitely. I mean, what do you guys think? Like, I think that's a crucial, central question is that, is this a progressive depiction of race politics? Or, or I mean, or the question could be, is it not just a cool story? Like truth is stranger than fiction. Um, we want to at this moment I do in think time, it's a cool story. Yeah, I like we want it. to project a, a politics onto it because this is what we're talking about. We're talking about racial injustice right now. This is on the sort of the tips of everyone's tongues. But if you look at like a movie like, you know, Inglorious Bastards, right, which is an action movie about killing Nazis, mm-hmm. and it's like a great film, and you, you can read politics into it, obviously, because it's a, it's a political context. It's in the context of, of 
Second World War and so forth. But you can also, you know, I think you can also just look at this to say, okay, well, when the original one was written, it was, it was political, but also not political. It was the context of the Vietnam War, and this one, it's in the context of what you know, what is something in in this recent history, which is, which grips people. But then ultimately, it's just a superhero story, mm-hmm. and it's about mm-hmm. power, and it's about you know, there's a bit of love thrown in there at the end because all of these structural context sort of get swept under the rug. I mean, in the last episode, I was really disappointed when all the white supremacists sort of architects of, of everything just get killed. Hmm. And then I'm like, what what is that kind of message? There isn't one. It's just a action movie where good trumps evil hmm. and Angela eats the egg and ostensibly gets the power of a god and is about to walk, walk on water. And then what is this? Just, you know, the black woman has gotten all the power she has risen to like the the queen status that you know black women were back you know in african times like it's it's a very strange mm. ending like she is about to walk on water which is literally referencing jesus right i mean for me i think i don't want to be too attached to the view that all artistic expression cannot help but reveal some type of politics so I would I would be suspicious of the idea while I'm suspicious of the idea that this is just we can say that this is just an action film or this is just a this is just a story and we shouldn't read politics into it. I'm like I at the same time I want to say that there's an important space for linking artistic expressions to mm-hmm. politics depending on what artistic medium are we talking about when is it being produced and for whom is it being produced? And so I can't help but read Watchmen as even unconsciously. It doesn't have to, I mean, we, uh, the intentions of the director, I don't think are really important. It's about what it says as an expression of our particular historical moment where these ideas, liberal mainstream, the, the lack, again, going back, the complete lack of imagination in the show, mm-hmm. that everything is... Everything is individualized. Nothing can be achieved without some madman, hyper-intelligent person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all the white people die at the end. It's just, it's just a deadlock. So, and I think that, that that says something political. Yeah, and I think, I mean, in this case, I feel like it is trying to say something political. In fact, like, when I was watching it, there was this weird sort of straddling of, on the one hand, almost like, a documentary approach to history, especially historical violence against black people, both because it starts with the Tulsa massacre and we're supposed to sort of see it as if we're being shown a clip from history. And we're supposed to just take it that that's what happened. And in that scene, there is no sort of superhero element, right? It's just like that is history. And then when we when we get to see William Reeves's own experiences as he grows up, and his experiences of being a black man, I guess it would have been in the 30s or 40s when he becomes a police officer. Again, that kind of violence of being sort of almost lynched from the tree and the kind of violence on the streets and such. Again, we, it has a sort of hyper-realism kind of approach. And 
that especially that episode i've heard like leftists be like oh it was it was like the best episode partly i think because it's meant or at least leftists take it to mean as like this is educational mm-hmm. right and in the show itself it takes the sort of tells the museum and again like as a museum it is documenting it is it's like, like it's Sorry? with Henry Louis Gates thrown in there. I mean, that's also that that can't help but be a polit- that that throws away the the series politics because what I mean, why not someone like Cornel West or Adolf someone more, or Adolf Reed, someone more explicitly yeah. left, mm-hmm. also black. Mm-hmm. I mean, right? But Henry Louis. So I mean, like, I mean, it, it can't help but express its politics yeah. in that moment. So for- for our listeners who don't know the significance of well Henry Louis Gates well Henry Louis Gates is just a more mainstream a more mainstream liberal black historian okay. and and so why not choose someone a little bit to the left of the spectrum is also doing why not Karen and Barbara Fields in you know, the black black Marxist why don't they qualify yeah. Yeah. right well, I don't get so also why the liberals don't just come clean on their economic philosophy. You know what I mean? There's a reluctance to like really talk about what makes them hesitant about like even just social democracy, you know, about a redistributive agenda. So there's always this attempt to like, like I said before, co-opt. And then we see kind of like with the whole Elizabeth Warren and the Bernie Sanders thing recently, like trying to paint him as a sexist. So it's always trying to, to give some sort of like morality lesson, but there's never like taking him on in terms of economics. Do you know what I mean? There's never like, you know what? As a as a representative of the liberal middle class, we just don't like high taxes. And it's like, they're afraid to say that. All they will say is it's not practical. And then when that fails, they'll say, well, you're racist or you're sexist or something. Mm-hmm. But there's no... There's no honesty about what your actual economics are, you know, your economic philosophy is. Well, on that, the idea of um, of reparations and the way that reparations are dealt with in the series is very conservative, actually. Mm. I mean, you go into the center, the center for heritage and so forth, and you give DNA, right? Mm. And like what, is, what this, the historic symbolism of DNA DNA and race is very eugenicist. Like you give DNA and then this machine tells you whether you qualify for these reparations, which are like material reparations, which is so conservative because, I mean, how do you determine from someone's DNA whether they should get reparations, right? Like these are obviously linked to very social and historical events, but then it comes down to something as blunt as, as, you know, your blood um, and yeah, reparations, I mean, we did say we'd speak a bit about South Africa, um, South African context. I'm wondering if we should wrap up here for this section. And then because we haven't, like, there's so much to speak about reparations that get into. Like, okay. One, so maybe it would make sense to do in a second segment. Thanks for tuning in to Oats for Breakfast. We're going to continue the discussion we've been having and make that available on Monday, February 3rd. Remember, once again, to check out our Patreon and consider becoming a supporter. You can do that by going to patreon.com slash oatsforbreakfast. Also, look us up on Facebook and Twitter and give us a follow. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll see you again next time. Bye.